two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. As a plant-based cheese company, Dea has never talked about beef in an ad before because someone somewhere once had a beef with saying beef and plant-based together. So putting a slice of Dea cheese on a beef burger, not okay. Well, our delicious melty cheese has a beef with your beef about beef because any step towards plant-forward eating is a step in the right direction. Dea, 100% plant-based, even if you're not. Now made with Dea Oat Cream Blend. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. This episode features dramatizations and discussions of suicide, rape, murder, and violence against women. Today's Greek myths, the founding of Athens, and Perseus and Medusa feature sexual assault as major plot points. We'd like to advise an extra warning for sensitive content. If you or someone you know has been assaulted, you can call 800-656-HOPE to speak with a trained counselor 24-7. Listener discretion is advised, especially for those under 13. The corpse swung from the ceiling like a pendulum. Looking up, Athena knew it was all her fault. Had she chosen her words more carefully, this may have been avoided. The girl was gifted, her early death such a waste of talent. Even the rope she hung from was perfectly knotted, beautifully woven, colorful. Athena realized the rope was made from the shreds of Arachne's final weaving, which equaled Athena's in the contest. Athena had destroyed the incendiary piece, but Arachne wove it into something whole again. Maybe Athena could follow suit. She took the body down, then held the girl's wrist to her own ear. No pulse, but still warm. Athena couldn't raise the dead. That was Hades' domain. However, she might be able to save Arachne's gift. Live on, Arachne. Yet hang by your thread. Weave and skitter as you did, humbled, but not dead. To keep the pride from returning, curse every generation ahead. With that, Arachne's hair fell out. Her nose and ears followed it to the floor, her head shriveling, her belly rounding. Arachne shrank smaller and smaller, but her nimble fingers, which held her weaving talent, remained the same size. The fingers became eight spindly legs, and her thumbs two small feelers in front of her face. The spider, who used to be Arachne, began spinning her web. To this day, Arachne and her children are weavers, 
and they cover the world with handiwork to rival the gods. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. Every week we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today we're continuing the tragic stories of the Greek goddess Athena. She's the goddess of war and military strategy, but also the goddess of wisdom, civilization, and the arts. In her mythology, she exists in a liminal state, but slowly finds her own identity as protector of Athens, guardian of heroes, and goddess of wisdom at home and at war. New episodes of Mythology release every Tuesday, and you can find us and all of Parcast's shows wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen. According to classicist Edith Hamilton, Greek mythology doesn't tell us vaguely what early humanity was like. It tells us exactly what early Greeks were like. Unlike their Egyptian counterparts, Greek gods were modeled after Greek humans with human flaws and emotions. The Greek gods are impossibly beautiful immortals with incredible power, but they're also frequently bored and seriously petty. They drink, they fight, and they have a lot of sex. At the root, all Greek myths are about human problems, and Athena, the patron goddess of Athens, represented the problem of civilization. The ancient Greeks built some of the earliest cities, with Athens founded around 3000 BCE. For the people of ancient Greece, moving into cities changed life dramatically. They went from a primitive culture to a civilization with literature, science, and democracy. Naturally, the Greeks wanted a god that melded their past with their future. Enter Athena. She was the warrior goddess who became a defender of the city and resident of the home. Some scholars think it went the opposite way, that Athena was a house goddess who was reappropriated from protector of a single home to protector of a complete city and took a warlike nature to help with defense. But either way, Athena was the bridge for a changing culture. She used wisdom to find a balance between the ways of the past and the ways of the future. The dichotomy within Athena is the dichotomy within ancient Greece, and her myths show her fighting a war between duty and desire. After the tragedy of Arachne, Athena was in need of new weapons. She had no intention of using them immediately, but it was prudent to always be prepared with arms. In search of a new axe, Athena went to the forge of Hephaestus, the limping god. Forget axes. You must behold my handcrafted, triple-reinforced, tried-and-true spear. I think I'd prefer a simple axe. I don't think you know what you want. Are you insulting my intelligence, god of the crooked foot? Only your knowledge of weapons, goddess of flashing eyes. Hephaestus thrust his spear at Athena. Run your hand along its length. Feel the texture, the girth. I'll decline. About that axe. Hephaestus grabbed Athena's hand and put it on his spear. She could smell his breath, or maybe the weapons in the forge were burning. Doesn't it bring you such pleasure? 
You'll need armor to match. Let's examine the fit on this. Hephaestus moved his other hand onto Athena's breastplate, feeling his way across her chest and down to her hip. Even with a thick sheet of metal between them, Athena didn't like what his hands were doing. Ah, you've become quite a woman. I remember the day you were born. Let me mull over the spear. I'll return another time. Athena moved to set down the weapon, but before she could, Hephaestus was behind her, both hands on the spear, trapping her between the weapon and his arms. He was too close, and Athena could feel his hard muscles pulsing against her backside. Is it true you took a vow of chastity? I'm committed to it. Oh, why so prude? When we all know, you'll kill at the slightest provocation. Don't question my decisions, Hephaestus. Athena kicked Hephaestus in the shin, and he dropped the spear. Athena ran from the forge, but Hephaestus chased her like a stallion in heat. His disabled foot slowed him, but not by much. Hephaestus was a god too, and there was nowhere Athena could hide. He caught her, grabbed her, thrust her against a cypress tree. Hephaestus had thrown off his clothes in the chase, and he pressed his glistening, swollen body against Athena. But Athena would not be a victim. She kneed him in the groin. Hephaestus doubled over, moaning and spilling his seed across her thigh. Satisfied, Hephaestus left. Athena retched at the sight of her leg. Then she took deep breaths, wiping sweat from her brow. Athena wiped her thigh off with wool. Hephaestus hadn't overpowered her, but here was the physical evidence that he'd used her. She'd wanted to be viewed like any other woman, and she'd gotten her wish. Ashamed, Athena buried the wool, leaving it to rot in the earth. The encounter with Hephaestus left Athena with a gnawing, prickling ache inside. She confided in Hera, hoping the goddess could console her. It's not supposed to be so forceful, is it? Each god has their own way of doing it. Why do you think I take other lovers besides Zeus? Hmm. He knew about my vow of chastity, and still he grabbed me and tried to- I'll have none of it, Athena. My Hephaestus is disabled. He can't properly walk, much less attack anyone. He's the god of the forge. All he does is create weapons for attack. Do not dare to accuse my son. You don't believe what he did to me? <laughs> I believe what you did to him. First you think you're the fairest of the goddesses, and then you start taking over the womanly arts, and now you're seducing my vulnerable son. I don't know what you're after, Athena, but I think it's best that you keep your distance. Hera, all I wanted was a listening ear. Then you best get it from your child. My child? You put Hephaestus' seed in the earth, impregnating Gaia. A monster was born. The child of Hephaestus and Gaia? No, Athena. You made Hephaestus spill his seed, and you buried it within Gaia, the Mother Earth. Thus, the gods have determined the child is yours. I see. If I were you, I'd dispose of the little snake. Everything Hera said was true. Gaia and Hephaestus wanted nothing to do with their deformed spawn. 
The gods saw Athena as responsible for the baby Titan and expected her to either raise it or kill it. So she sharpened her dagger. She found the child of Hephaestus where it was born, in the land of Attica. Hera was correct, it was a monster. Human from the waist up, snake from the waist down. But when Athena picked it up, the thing surprised her. It smiled and cooed. Its tiny hands reached up at her shiny dagger. The fingers were so small, it needed... No. Hera had made it clear. No one wanted the monster. It had no mother. But neither did Athena. And for that fact, she couldn't kill him. The goddess of wisdom hatched another plan to cheat death. Athena enchanted a wicker basket and sealed the serpent child within. He'd mature safely inside, like wine in a cask, and emerge full-grown, able to make his own destiny. She named him Erichthonius. As a second thought, Athena held the baby close and let him nurse. This granted him the chance to earn immortality and live on Mount Olympus. Now she just needed a safe place to hide the basket. Ever the wise, Athena chose a guardian who'd have sympathy for little Erichthonius. The king of Attica, Cecrops, was also half-human, with the claws and scales of a dragon instead of the legs and feet of a man. Cecrops had three virgin daughters, Aglaurus, Erce, and Pandrosus. Athena chose Pandrosus, the eldest, to guard the basket. Pandrosus accepted it as an honor. She kept the basket hidden for some time, until her sisters, long suspicious, weeded the secret out of her. From there, it was quick work to convince Pandrosus that Athena could not be trusted. Pandrosus wanted to obey Athena. She knew the gods could be wrathful, but she'd heard tell of Athena ruining the lives of Paris and Arachne for her own vanity. What if Pandrosus, too, was merely a pawn in the goddess's schemes? Distrust boiling in her stomach, Pandrosus led Aglaurus and Erce to the wicker basket. Nervous, curious, and doubting, the three knelt down. Pandrosus placed her hand on the lid and, with a nod from her sisters, opened it. Up next, we'll peek inside the basket. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray Strandom wing chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Now back to the story. When we left off, Pandrosis had just broken her promise to Athena when she and her sisters opened the enchanted basket. The three daughters of Cecrops stared at the abomination in the basket. It had the head of a toddler and the body of a snake. They argued over whether it was truly an honor for Pandrosis and wondered how the thing could be killed. Their sharp voices frightened Erichthonius, and the toddler began to cry. The cries echoed up to Mount Olympus. To Athena, the baby's cries were like the death screams of a thousand men on a battlefield. Pandrosus' promise had been broken, and the baby was in danger. Athena rushed to him immediately. By Zeus's thunder, I asked one favor of you, Pandrosus, one request. Child, shh. Athena picked up the squealing baby monster, trying to comfort him, but Erichthonius continued to scream. My sisters, they made me. Then all three sisters shall suffer the punishment. I, I curse, I... If Erichthonius didn't stop crying, Athena would go insane. She patted him, rocked him, let his snake tail wrap around her wrist to no avail. The three virgins, on the other hand, seemed nonplussed by the baby's wailing. Athena realized the perfect punishment. May you all feel the cries of this child in your minds as they ring in my heart. The daughters of Cecrops heard Erichthonius's cries as the screams of a thousand men and fell to their knees in shock. With every tear he shed, their eyes went wide. Overwhelmed, the girls pulled out their own hair. Satisfied, Athena took Erichthonius away. There was no sealing him back in the basket. She'd have to find him another home. It didn't matter where Athena took Erichthonius. The three sisters heard thousands of horrifying screams every time he cried. Pandrosus, Erce, and Aglaurus were constantly aggravated, unable to sleep, mentally muddled, and completely bewildered. Over time, each sister went insane. With the screams ringing in their ears, the three climbed to the top of the Acropolis. The sisters took each other's hands, looking down over the city below. Then, they jumped. Athena tried to tell herself the deaths of King Cecrops' daughters were not her fault. They deserved punishment, even if Athena had doled it out recklessly. No mortal was aware of their curse, but in her deepest heart, Athena knew she'd traded their three lives for Erichthonius's one. It was a rancorous bargain, and she'd have to raise the baby Titan into a great man to make up for it. But she had a clever new plan for Erichthonius and for poor, childless King Cecrops. Athena appeared to Cecrops in his palace. The throne room was dark, windows hidden behind tapestries. Cecrops's clothes were torn, and beside him rested three small urns. My condolences, King Cecrops. Thank you, Goddess Athena. In the wake of your loss, the capital of Attica requires a protector. I could keep your enemies away, 
bring joy back to your people, and provide you a new heir. Under my patronage. Poseidon, god of horses and the ocean, rode in on a white mare. Light flooded in with him. What brings you here? I'm the patron god of this city. No god wants this land. Actually, two gods want this land. Attica is honored to harbor interest from each of you, Poseidon and Athena. I plan to make your capital the greatest city in the world. Oh, do you, Pallas Athena? I do. Sacrops, do you know why Athena holds the name Pallas? Enlighten me, supreme god of the sea. She killed a sea nymph and stole her name. You're ignoring the nuance of the tragedy. I took on the name to honor her. I presume you honored the others you've destroyed, too. Must be quite a lengthy name you have. Time and time I've apologized. No one grieves greater than I. I'm simply impressed by the gall you have to come to Sacrop's kingdom after what you've done to the land. Shall I lay that out, too? If you dare. Enough! My capital shall not have a patron god who indulges in slander. Athena, will you protect our fair city? I'd be honored. Wait one moment, Sacrops. You named me your patron. Would you go back on your word to a god? We did. Poseidon, if Athena is the thoughtless brute you accuse her as, you should have no trouble beating her in a contest judged by my citizens. <laughs> no trouble at all. The day of the contest, Sacrops gathered his people at the Acropolis. The two gods stood on the ground where Sacrops's three daughters had died and prepared to perform miracles. Poseidon went first. He raised his trident and struck down on the rock of the Acropolis. The rock split and from it flowed a beautiful deep well of salt water. The people of Attica, far from the ocean, were impressed. Athena was nervous. Poseidon's spring was incredible, and her last contest against gods had been mortifying. At least, unlike Aphrodite, Poseidon agreed they should keep their clothes on. She looked at the perfect spring. She could beat this. Athena sighed, reached into the earth, and whispered, Through the olive tree, bring Athens to me. Grow, grow, grow. From her hand sprang a mature olive tree, the first of its kind. The underside of each of the leaves was gray, just like Athena's eyes. So when the wind passed through the tree, the entire plant resembled the flashing gaze of the gray-eyed goddess. Take this tree as a reminder that I shall always watch over you. Athena then showed the people how to pit and eat the olives and how to extract their oil. They were charmed and impressed. Across the land, the olive tree became a symbol for Athena. But in Athens, the people were divided. Was it better to have a beautiful spring or a fruitful tree? Eventually, the citizens put it to a vote. A curious thing happened. All of the men voted for Poseidon and the women for Athena. There were many men, but there was one more woman. Athena won by a single vote. The people named the city Athens after their new protector. Even under the favor of Athena, the men of Athens hated that they'd been bested by their women. They took away the women's right to vote. And from then on, 
only men had a say in these matters. It was a small retribution, but it wasn't enough for Poseidon. In retaliation, he flooded the land of Attica. On behalf of her people, Athena pled with him to end the deluge, but to no avail. Poseidon transformed Attica into the Aegean Sea, and the highest mountains became the islands of Greece. Through the floods and storms, Athena protected her city, keeping it above water and blessing the people with groves upon groves of olive trees. As patron goddess, Athena put the toddling titan Erichthonius in King Cecrop's care, and he became heir to the throne of Athens. It was easy to accept a half-snake prince when they already had a half-snake king. Athena remained close to Erichthonius, teaching him how to build chariots and plan invasions. In due time, he became a great king. Athena's plan to save Erichthonius had succeeded. As king of Athens, he installed the Panathenaea, an annual celebration of their patron goddess. There were sporting events and feats of strength, competitions for music, embroidery, and horse racing, great feasts and offerings given to the goddess. The early offerings were bulls and oxens, sacrifices for victory in war. But soon, Athena taught them to offer a sacrifice for protection of the city. She required female animals, young lambs and maidens. These virgins served in Athena's temple, showing a gentle face to those who sought wisdom. But Poseidon was still angry with Athena. He couldn't take Athens, but he could take everything else. Poseidon especially wanted the virgin maidens who served in Athena's temple. One particular maiden, Medusa, caught his eye, and when Athena was away, he snuck into the temple. Poseidon had his way with Medusa, desecrating the pure and sacred shrine. By the time Athena realized something was amiss and descended to the temple, Poseidon was gone. Left behind, Medusa cried on the temple floor, bruised and bleeding. Athena comforted her and pressed Medusa to tell her what had occurred. Medusa was reluctant. The other priestesses at the temple hadn't believed her when she told them. After some pressing, Medusa told Athena the truth. She'd been raped by Poseidon, desecrating Virgin Athena's temple. She hadn't seduced the god, she hadn't even smiled at him, but the other priestesses said that was impossible. Athena stroked the girl's curly hair, allowing her to cry. Medusa, I believe you. Athena saw a weight lift from Medusa's shoulders. Sniffling, she looked up at Athena with sincere appreciation. I've seen Poseidon's destruction and rage firsthand. I've been where you are. He said he'd be back. He said he can't resist my nature. It was not your fault. Perhaps, perhaps I can protect you. Athena wiped the blood from Medusa's face. I can't stop Poseidon's lust, but I can stop you from being its target. You would have to agree. It would mean a drastically different life for you. But Poseidon wouldn't come for me again. Never Never again. Save me. Athena nodded 
and began her curse. Snarls for a smile and snakes for hair. Beauty of Medusa hardened like a crone. At the side of her visage, turn men to stone. Medusa's curls coiled into snakes. Her teeth lengthened and sharpened into tusks. Her eyes bulged from her skull. Wings sprouted from her shoulders. And her fine, soft skin grew coarse hair all over. What am I? Tough. Warlike. Safe. And a gorgon. We can hide you among the other gorgons on the Isle of Sarpedon. I'll tell Poseidon you died in my temple. He'll never touch you again. Athena and Medusa shared relieved half-smiles. Finally, a problem resolved, and no one dead. Athena found a new power in saving women who'd been violated and ignored. In ancient Greek society, if a woman was raped, her rape was seen as a crime against her male guardian. So if a woman's father or husband didn't believe her or didn't desire to prosecute the man in question, she had no recourse. If a woman was raped by a god, she had even less recourse. No one would challenge the gods, except, of course, a goddess. Athena kept watch for women who needed help. The first, a maiden named Nyctimene. When Nyctimene's father raped her, she hid in shame. But Athena found the girl and transformed her into an owl. The owl became Athena's constant companion and is a symbol of the goddess's wisdom to this day. When Poseidon attacked the virgin daughter of Coroneus, Athena heard the maiden's cries and turned her into a crow so she could fly away from the seashore. Crows still shriek, eternally scared of Poseidon. Athena found one of her best gifts to women was in helping them become something more than a woman, just as she was. So when Zeus approached Athena, she thought her father would be overflowing with pride. You know your half-brother, Perseus? Yes, the son of Danae. Is he going to war? In a way. Perseus owes a debt. So I'll aid him on a quest to help him repay it? Yes. You must help Perseus. Slay Medusa. Up next, we'll see how Athena negotiates her loyalties to Zeus, Perseus, and Medusa. Hey, welcome to Ikea, where even this desk is circular. Huh, how so? Looks pretty rectangular to me. It's because we're always looking to repair, reuse, and we love our products, like buying back your Ikea items for store credit, or shop our as-is section for great deals. You can even order free spare parts. Get on the circular path for a more sustainable future. Still a rectangle. Get started at ikea-usa.com slash circular. Visit ikea-usa.com slash circular for as-is information and buyback and resale terms and conditions. Spare parts not available for all products. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Now back to the story. Athena's blood ran cold. 
How could she kill the woman she'd sworn to protect? She tried to remain calm. She could reason with Zeus and think her way out of this. Perhaps Ares would be a wiser choice of patron for Perseus. Slaying a monster requires immense power and fortitude. It also requires more than a swinging sword. Plenty of monsters have been dispatched with swinging swords. But no Gorgons. To kill a Gorgon requires some wit. If any man so much as glimpses Medusa, he'll turn hard as a rock. But at least now she'll be safe from them. What did you say? Nothing. Well then, Ares is a sword-swinging simpleton and Perseus needs a plan. You must aid him. I can't have a statue for a son. But you're okay with a murderer for a daughter? She's a monster. Monsters exist to be slayed. She was once a woman. Did she not defile your temple by seducing Poseidon? No, father. Poseidon defiled my temple. My brother would never do that. You're the goddess of heroic endeavor. Slaying monsters is in your nature. As the king of the gods and your father, I command you to do your duty and aid Perseus in his heroic endeavors. Athena gritted her teeth and went to Perseus. Athena had been particularly proud of her curse's stony twist, but now it had come back with a bite. The very thing she'd done to protect Medusa would make Athena an accomplice to her murder. Perseus was well into his quest by the time Athena reached him. Hermes, the messenger god, had helped him thus far and outfitted Perseus with all manner of tools. Athena looked over them with distaste. Catch a look at these. Hermes says the most legendary heroes wear winged sandals. Had to have them. And this wallet, it can hold anything. I'll use it to carry Medusa's serpent-covered head, or even the full corpse. You think accessorizing will help you slay a Gorgon? I can't kill her with a sword alone. Though Hermes gave me an incredible sword. And look at this. An invisibility cap? I can't see her if she can't see me. All I can see is why you need help from the Goddess of Wisdom. Perseus admired his reflection in Athena's armor. Hmm, you must admit, I'm quite a sight. Struck with an idea, Athena slipped off her armor. Oh, if it means taking a goddess to bed to slay the Gorgon, I'm up for the task. Absolutely not. Hey, you're the one removing armor. It's the accessory you're missing, you imbecile. Medusa will turn you to stone if you stare at her directly. You ought to use my breastplate as a mirror. Athena handed Perseus the polished front piece of her armor. Humbled, Perseus nodded his thanks. If you only see her reflection, you'll remain flesh and blood. Be vigilant, else you'll end up like the others who chased Medusa. She's near impossible to kill. Athena, do you think I'm destined to fail? You're a hero. You can't fight your nature, Perseus. None of us can. Athena accompanied Perseus to the Isle of Sarpedon, Perseus flying in his ridiculous winged sandals and Athena in a cloud. They floated over the island, watching the sleeping gorgons and the reflection of Athena's breastplate, which Perseus held on his forearm. That one's her, Medusa. Be wary, she's the only mortal gorgon. If you hit another, she won't be killed. Perseus nodded. Diving backwards into a freefall, he aimed his sword towards Medusa. 
As he barreled towards the Gorgon, Athena noticed Perseus was off his mark. He'd drive his sword into the earth, hit his head, and see a Gorgon. Perseus was falling to his death. To meet his heroic destiny, he needed Athena's guidance. Could she help him? Did she have a choice? Athena reached towards Perseus' sword and guided him right into Medusa's scaly neck. The Gorgon's head fell to the ground, each snake on her scalp releasing its own final scream. From Medusa's head spring her children, the winged Pegasus and the warrior Chryseor. The twins flew from the island, knowing they'd get nothing from their dead mother. The other Gorgons awoke, panicked, and launched at Perseus. Perseus, however, grabbed the head in victory. He stowed it in his magic wallet, put on his invisibility cap, and easily escaped. Athena remained unable to move, processing her actions, yet another woman dead at her hands. She watched as the Gorgons mourned Medusa, performing funeral rites on her headless body. In her time on the island, Medusa had been loved. The melody the Gorgons sang stuck with Athena, and she fashioned a flute that would allow her to play their requiem. But when Athena saw herself play the flute, all she could see was ugliness and annihilation. Her cheeks bulged when she blew, her face resembling the ugly Gorgons. But Athena wasn't the mourner. She was the reason for mourning. She threw the flute to the ground, cursing it. Sometime later, Perseus entered Athena's temple. He opened his enchanted wallet and pulled out the Gorgon's head. It was shrunken, even more ugly. The snakes hung limply from the skull, scales dusty and faded. Perseus laid the Gorgon's head before Athena. It no longer bore any resemblance to the girl Medusa. Thank you, goddess of heroes. I pledge to you my loyalty and the loyalty of my sons and their sons. May we bring you glory and victory in battle. You and yours have my blessings, Perseus. Athena didn't know what she'd do with the dried-up gorgon head, but it brought her peace to see Perseus so content. To him, she was a kind and generous goddess. Perseus and his wife Andromeda lived long and happy lives, raising their descendants to be powerful heroes, a long line of men who worshipped Athena and enjoyed her aid, including one of the greatest immortals, Hercules. After some thought, Athena brought the Gorgon head to Zeus on Mount Olympus. At the very least, it might make her father proud. Positively grotesque. Well done, my daughter. Thank you. Zeus took the head and began spreading the serpent corpses over his shield, the Aegis, the same shield he'd once used to distract Pallas before her death. The memory urged him to comfort Athena. I heard the Gorgon Medusa had many good years on that island. You gave a monster a chance at meaning. But did I do the right thing? Look at your olive tree. It's a beautiful thing that feeds and nurtures, but also makes deadly bows and arrows. You made the tree in your image, Athena. 
one with many purposes, and the wisdom to choose each at a time. Zeus held up the aegis, now with the gorgon's head attached to the front. He handed it to Athena. The flicker of sunlight from the shield that had killed Pallas had been extinguished by the protection of Medusa and the salvation of Perseus. Is Athens not thriving? I protect and guide them as best I can. There is no greater city than mine. Well done, goddess of the city. Keep it so. And thus Athena carried the aegis, her symbol of the power of Zeus, bearing the head of the Gorgon. She found peace in her dualistic nature, aiding extraordinary heroes and ordinary citizens alike. Personification of wisdom, preserver of the state, protector of heroes, of the city, and of war. She brings heroes to glory, which often means raping and pillaging cities, but having been attacked herself, protects victims of sexual assault. Athena's role shifts and sways like the branches of her olive tree, beautiful and brutal, feminine and masculine. According to classicist Lucy Corcoran, there's a simple explanation for Athena's fluidity between the traditional gender roles. Her vow of virginity meant she could not be viewed as a mother or lover. While the other gods frequently had affairs with humans, Athena made it clear that even a god like Hephaestus was not permitted to touch her. She didn't belong to any one man, so she could be revered by all men. And yet, because she wasn't a man, she wasn't a competitor who could be bested by the warriors she advised. She was in a league outside Greek society. Being non-binary made her all the more powerful. Her complex role in Greek mythology reflects the ancients' complicated and subordinate view of women. Like all the Greek gods, Athena has persisted in culture, and with the rise of equality, her role is less discordant. There's no more need for negotiation. We can all be more than our gender roles. Now, Athena stands for feminine strength. She's an icon for the university student and the working woman. Her owl evokes wisdom. Her olive branches, peace. This concludes our episodes on Athena, but don't worry, she'll be back in future episodes, providing the great heroes with sage wisdom and military strategy. New episodes of Mythology come out every Tuesday, and you can listen to more Mythology and all of Parcast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, or your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review while you're there. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Mythology is written by Maggie Admire. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Kimberly Holland, Harris Markson, and Sammy Nye. I'm Vanessa Richardson.